Doug Wilson is the senior minister of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. He's an award-winning novelist, and he has written scores, literally scores of books. He's perhaps best known for a documentary of his debates with Christopher Hitchens. It's called Collision. Doug, thank you so much. What an honor to be talking to you today. Thank you for the invitation. Well, we're talking about the resurrection, and we've been really looking into the evidence for the historical fact that a man rose from the grave. And I want to talk with you about, from a pastor's perspective, believing that the resurrection actually happened is something that, well, even the devil can believe. But that doesn't mean that he's born again. His name's not written in the book of life because he believes that fact. What's the difference between believing the fact of the resurrection and believing in your heart unto salvation? James says that the devils believe that there's one God and tremble. So the devil's a monotheist, um, but that doesn't help him any. Uh, the devil knows that Christ rose from the dead, and that doesn't help him any. Um, uh, theologians distinguish three kinds of faith. Uh, one kind of faith is just knowledge that, you know, what the, the other is assent, uh, agreeing that it did happen. And then the third is fiducia, trust. So the, the saving element of faith is trust. So that's when you're pushing the buckle into the seatbelt and you hear the click. That click is saving faith. So when, when someone entrusts himself to God on the basis of the resurrection, then that is what closes the deal. That's what seals it. So the devil knows it from outside. He, he knows that Christ rose from the dead and he hates it. He opposes it. Uh, the believer uh, knows the resurrection of Christ from the inside. He participates in it because he's entrusted himself to it. That makes sense. I love that. The devil opposes it. He knows it on the outside, but the believer embraces the resurrection and he knows it on the inside. But what is it that he's actually trusting himself to? Yes, I, I trust myself to the fact that a man rose from the grave. I mean, what is it there about the gospel that's locked into the resurrection that he's entrusting himself to? Well, you have to begin with the, the fact that this is a fallen, broken world. You have to deal with the fact that we have graves. Right? So the resurrection isn't the problem. The grave is the problem. Death is the problem. Um, so the resurrection is God's solution for man's sin and rebellion. And it was our sin and rebellion that plunged us into, into death. So God said to Adam, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall surely die. So um, Paul says the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel, the prophet, says the soul that sins shall die. So death is the problem. And re the resurrection is the solution. So if someone comes along and says, we don't need any resurrection, he's saying, I don't have a problem with death. Well, death is self-evidently a difficulty, self-evidently a problem, self-evidently an enemy. So uh, resurrection addresses the sin problem, the guilt problem, the death problem. What does the resurrection tell us about the identity of Jesus? Who was he in real life? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is a great question for modern Christians to get a hold of, because too often modern Christians who have to deal with agnostics and atheists, 
feel somehow that the resurrection is something that needs to be proved. How do I prove the resurrection to someone yeah. who doesn't believe it? But in scripture, uh, the resurrection is the proof. So uh, mm. God proves things with the resurrection. So we don't come to prove the resurrection, uh, although it's not sinful to do it. Uh, but the resurrection is treated as the proof of something else. Uh, in Romans 1.4, it says that uh, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So it, the resurrection is his calling card. All right? Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection. And then in Acts 17, uh, we're told that Jesus, God has given proof of this to all men, that, that Jesus will judge the world, Jesus will judge all nations. God has given proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection is uh, the authentication, the vindication, the proof that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is going to judge all the nations of men. So that's our proof. So we don't give ourselves up to just simply trying to prove the resurrection. We use the resurrection to prove other things. What do you think must have been going through the disciples' minds? What were they thinking? What were they feeling when they saw their crucified friend walking on two feet again? Luke actually tells us when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, he, he says their initial response was that they were terrified. Right, so they just just terrified. And then a few verses down, it says that they disbelieved because of joy. Um, and I think the best English word that encompasses all of that is stupefaction. They were just <laughs> stupefied. They were, they were polaxed. They were flummoxed. They, they were just totally beside themselves because they saw Jesus arrested. They, they, you know, everything, uh, they knew that he was dead. Um, Thomas knew that he was dead and refused to believe until he touched the wounds. Uh, and Thomas was not there on that occasion, but all the rest of them knew that he was as dead as Thomas did. And they just, you know, what kind of categories? I don't have a shelf in my brain to put this on. Doug, you've said that for those who saw the risen Christ, that Christ had condescended to them in kindness. What do you mean by that? Yes. When Christ rose from the dead, then when he ascended into heaven some weeks later, this might sound new agey, and I don't mean it in a new agey sense, but Christ is becoming, has become the exalted cosmic universal Christ. Uh, so before, when they knew him, they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth, and they knew that he was a remarkable man, and they knew that he was the Messiah. They confessed that at different times, but they walked with him. They touched him on the shoulder. They saw him sleep. They, you know, the, he was a man. He was a true man. But when he conquered death, that was like turning the, the page into a new chapter of the universe's existence. And this Christ is the Christ of that, that is revealed to us in the book of Revelation, for example. Now, when that Christ, that ascended Christ, appears in the upper room, he's dialing himself way back so they can interact with him. Uh, and you can, you can see evidences of that dialing back when he reveals himself, for example, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, he walks with them and teaches them the Bible and does all this, but they couldn't, they didn't identify who, who it was. Um, and so 
I believe that Jesus adjusts himself to the condition of the disciples on this plane of existence. Thomas wanted proof that Jesus was really alive after the dead. And uh, in John 20, 29, uh, Jesus says to Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. How do we understand what Jesus is saying there? Paul tells us in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I'm, I believe that Thomas, we, we are tempted to think that Thomas was more blessed than we are because he saw the risen Lord. Jesus reverses that. He says that it was a true blessing for the disciples to see the risen Lord. And they were apostles because they could testify to that. But Jesus pronounces an extra blessing on those who believe in the resurrection of Christ on the strength of the proclaimed word alone. So I'm 2,000 years after Thomas, and I'm believing Thomas's testimony. I'm believing Peter's testimony. I'm believing the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who saw the risen Christ out of time, you know, out of sync. But I'm believing all their testimony. And Jesus says, the people who are in that position, who believe that God raised Christ from the dead on the strength of the word of God alone are greatly blessed. You've also said that today we have some evidences for the resurrected Christ that even the disciples didn't have way back then, 2,000 years ago. What, what evidences sure. are those? When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and he's talking with Martha, Lazarus' sister, she confesses what a pious Jew of the first century would confess, that I know, I know that there will be a resurrection at the last day. I know my brother Lazarus will be raised at the last day. Um, and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Well, what Jesus is claiming and what Jesus did is picture this long timeline with the resurrection of the dead at the end of history. Jesus, in the middle of history, grabs the resurrection of the dead at the end of history, and the end of history erupts in the middle of history. Christ's resurrection is sort of the down payment or the earnest payment or the, the harbinger, the foretaste, the, um, the indicator of what's to come. So Jesus, the end of history has happened in the middle of history. And so consequently, you look at all this, uh, everything has happened AD, the, the progress of the Christian church and countless millions of people having had their lives transformed, sins forgiven, deliverance from alcohol, deliverance from hatred, deliverance from all the petty sins that, that afflict us. We today have the testimony of 2,000 years of forgiveness, right? 2,000 years of forgiveness is potent, and it affects millions of people. And the disciples didn't have that. The disciples had the risen Lord, and they were gathered just, a, you know, a, a relative handful of them on the side of the Mount of Olives. And the risen Christ says, all right, here's the plan, men. Conquer the world on three. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What if the resurrection didn't happen? What if the critics are right? What if a man never really rose from the grave? What do we lose as Christians? We would lose absolutely everything. And the thing that's interesting about this is if you, if you talk to a devout Buddhist, for example, and said, I can prove to you that the Buddha never, never lived, the Buddhist, uh, an enlightened Buddhist would laugh at you because that wouldn't matter. 
<laughs> the issue for Buddhism is the message, the enlightenment. The, um, it, the facts of history are ultimately irrelevant. But for the Christian, uh, we are an, an historical faith. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the cornerstone of everything we believe. So if the dead are not raised, the, the Apostle Paul says, if the dead are not raised, we of all men are most to be pitied. So Christians are the most delusional people on the planet if the dead are not raised. If Christ did not come back from the dead on resurrection morning, on Easter morning, if he didn't do that, then we are all um, basket cases. And we're still in our sins and, and we're, we're in, in trouble on the day we give an account before God. Right. Doug, when we come back, let's talk about the authority that the resurrection should have in our lives right after this. Doug, before the break, we were talking about the authority and the power of the resurrection. Now I'd like to talk about what that means for us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an ancient event. This happened over 2,000 years ago. What could an ancient event like that possibly mean for us in modern day today? Well, one of the things it means is this ancient event is the foundation of modern day today, right? In, in other words, you can't say that, well, that was back when people were superstitious and now we're enlightened. Well, how did we get enlightened? What, what enlightened us? Well, it's scripture. So what, what happened in secularists and enlightenment thinkers have taken the fruit of Christianity and they've, they sort of bustled in from the side and took credit for it. So we have to regard all of Western history as history under the influence of the resurrection of the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Our calendar, we, they're trying to change this from uh, uh, BC to AD, but because Jesus rose, we divide all human history up in before Christ and Anno Domini, year of our Lord. That's because he rose from the dead. Now, modern secular thinkers are trying to do BCE and CE, common era, before common era, and common era. But I'll just say, I'll take it. I'll just say before Christ's empire and Christ's empire. Woo, there we go. <laughs> because Jesus rose from the dead. And if you, if you got out a map of the world and you said, I, well, I believe in science and progress and reason, I'd say, okay, where did science begin? Where did all this progress kick in? Where, where did it come from? Well, it, if you get a map of the world, it, it came from those nations that were predominantly influenced by the gospel. And people in other civilizations are plenty clever enough. You know, the Chinese were, had a great civilization uh, when our ancestors were running around killing their meat with rocks. And, the, you know, the Chinese were very sophisticated, but they didn't plug it in. They didn't apply it in the way that the West has done. And this is all the grace of God. There's no racial folly in, or vainglory involved in this. And wherever the gospel goes, things get cleaned up, fixed, put right, straightened out, uh, social problems are addressed. Um, and, and so basically I would say that the progress that has resulted in many of the modern blessings that we enjoy 
is the direct lineal descendant of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If that's true, and, and I believe that it is, and I think historically we can see that, how does believing in the resurrection or the fact of the resurrection translate into technological inventions and medical breakthroughs and all sorts of progress that we see today? If I'm a sinner, if I'm carrying around a weight of guilt, all I'm going to want to do, and this has been characteristic of many, many pagan societies, all I, all I want to do is to stay on the right side of the gods. <laughs> I'm just right. going to tiptoe through life. I, I, I don't want to make anybody mad. I just want to get through. That, that's all I want to do. What the Christian gospel does is it says there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free. Your guilt is erased. Your sins are forgiven. And when you're set free, you're set free to discover, invent, explore, write, right? You, you're set free because what the Christian faith is, it's all about humanity 2.0. Uh, our first father, Adam, crashed us. We, the, uh, the human race crashed. Jesus is the second Adam. And when the first Adam was made from the dust of the ground, the, the second Adam came from the dust of the grave. Okay, so he was raised up from the, the grave, and he's the new Adam. And the Christian church is the new Eve, the bride of Christ. And so we are, God is sort of rebooting human history. And all the things that we threw away in our first rebellion, God is giving those things back to us. And that's what faith in the resurrection does. It, it washes your sins away. And when your sins are washed away, you are set free to do what a human being ought to be able to do. Doug, what did the resurrection do to the devil? Yeah, it sealed his defeat. The Bible tells us in multiple places that the devil was defeated by the death of Jesus. So it was the crucifixion of Jesus that threw down the devil. So the defeat that had been accomplished in the crucifixion, and then it's in the resurrection that God gets on the PA system and announces to the world and tells us to announce to the world that the devil is defeated. And that's why I think when Jesus frequently tells people, don't tell anybody about this yet, I believe that Jesus was waiting for the resurrection. That's when God made his declaration of who Jesus was. Mm. And so that's when we are to preach it. So the devil is defeated in the cross and we announce it in the resurrection. And Paul says in Corinthians, uh, if the rulers of this age had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the, the Lord of glory. The, the unbelievers, the atheists, the scoffers, the evolutionists have nothing that they can do except scoff. And I would simply point out that everybody, including you, believes that live things come from dead things. You're an evolutionist. Christians are simply the ones who believe that life can come from the dead twice. <laughs> right? <laughs> you atheists believe that man evolved out of the primordial goo once without any supervision, without anybody doing it. We believe that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground, and we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. So we believe it happened twice. You believe it happened once. And we believe that there was a sovereign divine author overarching the whole thing, doing it. And you believe that nobody was doing it. So it seems to me that you guys have more faith than I do. What kind of hope does the resurrection offer everyday moms and dads, husbands and wives, and children today? Everybody who's watching this program knows 
what things afflict them, what their troubles are, what they feel guilty about, what they struggle with. The resurrection is God's declaration to the human race that he cares for us and he's offering us a way out. The, the way out is Christ. So, but it's got to be a crucified and risen Christ. If Jesus just came down and gave us the Sermon on the Mount and then went back to heaven, what we would have there is good advice, right? A bunch of good advice. But what sinners need is good news. Mm. There's a difference between good advice and good news, right? The good news is that Jesus died and your sins were crucified there with him. And he was buried. Your sins were buried there with him. And then he came back from the dead and he didn't bring your sins with him. Right? So mm. God has arranged for all of our sins. It says in Second Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So all my sins, all my failings, all my faults, all my blind spots, all my pettiness, everything was placed on Jesus along with all the sins and faults and failings of everybody watching this program, placed on Jesus, and then he died, and he was buried, and all those sins went with him. And then the resurrection, when Jesus comes back from the dead, and we come up to him and we say, didn't you bring any of my sins back with you? And he says, no, I left them there. I, I left them in the grave. I left them in the grave on purpose. So this is why... Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, as many of us as were baptized, were baptized into his death so that in his resurrection, we might walk in newness of life. That's, that's the gospel. So you're united with Christ in his death and you and your sins die. And then you come back from the dead, just you, not your sins. Doug, there may be people who are watching right now who are not part of the family of faith. Um, uh, it's a little rough for them to believe that somebody could have been born uh, from a virgin and then rose from the grave. Uh, if that person's watching right now and they're tired of all the Christianese, um, how, can, how can you explain the gospel to this person in a way that doesn't overcomplicate it, but just gets to the heart of the matter? Could, could you just do that right now? Sure, sure. Um, the gospel is simply this. God offers in Christ a representative who can carry us, who can represent us to him. This is what Christians are doing when they pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in Jesus' name, amen, doesn't mean open your eyes and reach for the pancakes. It's not the signal that we're done praying. What, what Christians are doing is they're presenting themselves to God in Christ, by myself, if I, if I come to God in my own name, in my own person, I can't be accepted because God can only accept perfection and I'm not perfect, right? My first father, Adam, crashed the human race and I followed in his footsteps as we all do. So I'm a mess. So I can't come to God in my condition as a mess and say, here, would you please take me back? Because I'm, I'm all messed up. God is holy and I'm unholy. God is good and I'm not good. I need someone to represent me. And so what God has done in the gospel is he's given us the representative of Christ, a new Adam, a new way of being human. So there's the old way of being human in Adam, and there's the new way of being human in Christ. And so what, when I come to Christ and I look on him in his death, 
I am united with him. My sins, my old man is crucified. My old way of being human is buried with him in the tomb. And then I'm still united with him when he comes back out of the grave. And now I'm set free to be human in a, a new and different way. Born again Christians, people who are really put right with God, who've, who've really died and been buried and raised with Christ, their life is transformed. Their sins are forgiven. They are set free. And that, that is what I, as a minister of the gospel, am authorized to preach and declare to people. Christ died, was buried, rose again from the dead. And if you look to him in faith, you can, you can be right with God. That sounds like an amazing deal. What's the entrance requirement? What you do is you repent of your sins, you confess that you're a mess, and you talk to God. You just you say, God, I'm a mess. I've done all this stuff. I'm not trying to justify any of it anymore. I'm a sinner. Would you please accept me for Jesus' sake? And that's it. And God promises that he will. What an honor to be talking to you today. Thanks for sharing resurrection hope with us. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show. 